the past to present, the spirit of indigenous environmentalism across time. Hi everyone, um, my name is Chanel, and today we're just going to have a conversation regarding what we view as the indigenous identity. In specificity to today's topic, we're going to talk about what ecological or environmental practices indigenous culture has carved the way for, but also how much of that is their identity and is it still true today? Indigenous environmentalism is not a typical coming-of-age story. In fact, it wasn't a transformative experience like we had in the 1970s when climate change really came to the forefront of our society here in North America. The relationships indigenous groups have shared and share today even still with their environment and their ecological footprint has been in part of their society and culture, um, whether that's through historical oral recounting or religious uh, views and traditions, since the infancy of indigenous civilization. It hasn't only impacted their views on animal life, the concept of reincarnation, or their spiritual existence, it actually has impacted how they view themselves within the larger ecosystem they inhabit. And this is true across every indigenous group in North America that we can see historically. And what that means is that whether or not traditions may vary between these groups, or let's say the type of ecological practices they have vary between each group, the harmony, for lack of a better word, and balance that indigenous groups have with their environment has been in the fabric ingrained in who they are culturally across North America. So although animal types and plant varieties may vary from one indigenous culture to another, practices of a balanced relationship again, are remaining consistent across the nation. So for animal consumption, indigenous tradition was steeply contrasting from, at the time, this purely meat consumption. In an article by J.C. Lee Ray and M. Cat Anderson, they describe how the Quinellet and the Quillette tribes used every part of the elk, including the meat, fat, antlers, and bone. And Further, M. Ellis uh, goes on to explain the flesh serves for food, the skin for robes, shield shirts, and when dressed, for strings and clothes, and for the horns, they make chisels, wedges, and paint. When it came to tending the land or farming, despite what our own ignorance we know now has taught us, indigenous people use systems and cycles to keep the land fertile. Again, Ray and Anderson explained to us that while indigenous people did not cultivate domesticated crops, they did plant practice land management techniques such as burning, pruning, and tilling in order to augment the land and plant and animal populations. And it's from this balanced uh, form of ecology that we see evidence for an environmental 
viewpoint in their culture. And it was evident enough even back in the 1800s to colonists that it threatened how they viewed they would subjugate indigenous populations in order to expand westward. We know that this threat was, in fact, acted upon when we look at the Buffalo War. In an excerpt from the book Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by Dee Brown, we get a glimpse into the motivations, but also the reality of the Buffalo War and what happened, how it wreaked havoc on their ecological systems. In quotes, the Quadis arrived on Elk Creek in force, arriving in from the stake plains with bad news about the buffalo herds. White hunters and skinners were everywhere. The stench of rotting carcasses fouled the very winds of the plains. Like the Indians, the great herds were being driven into the ground. Of the 3.7 million buffalo destroyed from 1872 to 1874, only 150,000 were killed by Indians. When a group of concerned Texans asked General Sheridan if something should be done to stop the white hunters' wholesale slaughter, he replied, Let them kill, skin, and sell until the buffalo is exterminated, as it is the only way to bring lasting peace and allow civilization to advance. End quote. So as we can see from this quote in D. Brown's book, the subjugation of the indigenous people in North America was also a subjugation based off of ecological warfare. The buffalo population was not wiped out because there was a high demand for food, high demand for hides, high demand for bones, and these things that European colonies needed, it was wiped out because of the fact that A, it was a quick rich scheme, Uh, the hides were bought and sold at high prices and they were brought back to Europe and made into other pieces of clothing. And secondly, as we saw in that quote there, it was a military motivation to swiftly bring the indigenous population to their knees. Starvation is a quick way of doing that. When we look at history, nothing bends people more than a hungry belly. So with this heavy ecological footprint in history, can we also say that the new and were for environmentalist resolve Environmentalism revolves around the preservation of the earth. And while we definitely see the practice of ecology, appreciation, balance, and harmony in indigenous culture, it is not necessarily the same that they were motivated for the earth before they were motivated before their own culture and their own people. The ecological Indian has become a term that is synonymous in some ways with the term noble savage, a generalization that indigenous people were inherently ecological and environmentally minded first. Yes, we have seen the indigenous people of North America live in closer harmony with the environment, but it doesn't mean 
they were only living to honor it above all else. This is what Shepard Crutch III opened with his article, Reflection on Conservation, Sustainability, and Environmentalism in Indigenous North America. He remarks, Since the early 1970s, a cherished received wisdom has been that North American Indians were the original ecologists and conservationists. The image of noble Indian is what I call ecological Indian. End quote. Like the term noble savage, are we putting too much fantasy on indigenous environmentalism from the past? While we can easily acknowledge that ecology existed in the indigenous culture, are we brushing over the fact that they weren't necessarily trying to be motivated by preservation? Gregory D. Smithers comments in his article, Native Ecologies, Environmental Lessons from the Indigenous Histories, that, quote, this is not to say that American Indians do not attempt to shape and reshape their environment. They did. Instead, it is an acknowledgement of how Indigenous people tried to understand and respect ecological limits of a given environment or ecosystem. End quote. So we can see here that indigenous people, yes, shaped and reshaped their environment. They were not seeking to necessarily live in a wild, untamed, natural, ecological state. There was benefits from them manipulating their environment, and they did take advantage of that. They did try to create the best experience but we see still that they carried the gene of an environmentalist which was a balanced relationship with nature so next gregory smith sets out to give us raw truths regarding indigenous culture and what that meant for their identity as environmentalists he gives us three conclusions. First, that the indigenous people showed valuable cultural wisdom regarding their environment. So rather than living in harmony with nature and falling into an ecological Indian trope, we need to respect the fact that they observed and educated themselves about their environment and then made decisions to how they would best be fit and also best preserve their environment. So they both raped the benefits while also gave back to their environment. When we look at that, there's three forms of study we can call this. We can call this ethno, ethnoecology, ethnobiology, or folk biology. Those terms definitely fit in congruence with indigenous culture at the time. We also have to recognize they were ecologists. They found 900 generic and 1,700 specific plant types in accordance, and then 200 labeled plant categories that were non-cultivated and 500 cultivated plant categories. And then even further, they've discovered and labeled 390 animal categories. The system of breaking down and understanding nature 
was ingrained and they were an active part of the foundational language of what we discover in nature. The second conclusion Gregory draws is the fact that they indeed viewed living organisms and their organic and inorganic environment ecologically. So they gave them systematic organization, relational organization, interdependent relationships were looked at, and there was thoughts and conclusions about this natural world that the indigenous culture made, predating any form of system that we had at that point introduced. A third conclusion Gregory makes is that it could be that because of the ingrained belief of reincarnation, it was not culturally appropriate to mishandle the natural world because they contained the spirits and ancestors of their kinsmen. So it's due to this cultural foundation we can look back at that we see this overlap of, yes, they were environmentalists in today's terms, we could say, they were trying to live in harmony. They were trying to live in balance. They were looking at the causes and effects in their nature and what they did in their natural habitat. But at the same time, we need to recognize the fact that it is not then the identity of indigenous people that they are attuned and therefore responsible for the climate change conversation and they are not responsible to be environmentalists. However, with that said, what we need to look at next is how has this indigenous culture translated today? How has it impacted environmentalism? In the 1970s, we had that big push of the ecological Indian as the term came to be. But is it true that all indigenous people are at the forefront of the environmentalist movement? And it's, it's just because of the nature of things, of course not. Just as diverse and as unique as every population is, I can't say, oh, Canadians are all responsible for the moose because they live in Canada. It's just irrational. It's illogical behavior. Of course not. Some people will not ever see a moose in Canada. So ecological and environmental knowledge is not as inherent as it once was. And it's due to a lot of factors, some colonization and we are responsible for, and others are just the way that time progresses. Changing residences, um, this was heavily impacted back in the 1800s and 1900s when residential schools were um, highly prominent. Uh, it was expected that you adapt and change to be an assimilated American. Uh, you were taught to never speak your language. You were taught to forget your oral histories and not pass them on. You were taught to cut off your hair, which was very symbolic aspect of religious and ceremonial things. 
dances, rituals, ceremonies, these were all completely banned from the next generation of indigenous people that came up through residential schools, which that is our responsibility. We have the role that we played in assimilating indigenous people that has impacted the environment, I believe. I believe that if we did not do that, would there be a different story to tell? And if we instead tried to learn from indigenous people on how they treated their land, would we be seeing the same ecological disasters we are today? And in my opinion, I don't think we would because, again, they responded to the land and responded to what they saw. There has been the conversation and argument that indigenous practices, their the way they cultivated their land, the way they practice hunting and gathering, couldn't be sustained for what we see today in the United States, the population size we have. But I don't think that's the part we're supposed to gleam from the indigenous culture and people. The important lesson that environmentalism today and in the future should reflect upon is how indigenous people in the past and in the present respond to their land. The last subject that I think should be remarked on in our conversation is how has indigenous culture been impacted not only by what colonialism and westward expansion brought into North America, but time itself, how has it shifted culture? So ecologically and environmental knowledge isn't as inherent in indigenous culture as it used to be, though there is the pushback to relearn and educate themselves and bring themselves back into their culture. There's been a big deviation. In Raymond Ham's article titled The Ecologically Noble Savage Debate, he viewed some factors that have affected the culture of indigenous people and how they now relate to their environment. He discusses the fact that changing residences, so moving off of reservations, which happens quite often, into cities shifts and changes how they interact with their environment. Even the fact that when you move into a city, you might have lots of parks, you might have almost no parks, you're not gathering, you're not interacting with your land the same way in a city. Items and food and necessities are being brought to you. That is one factor. Another thing that culturally they're starting to separate from tradition and this is definitely part of time as we've seen even in european standards we shift culturally as time progresses we don't hold the same values it's a hard knock to keep up and to remain relevant when you're trying to also gleam to the past so it is not uncommon for any culture to start separating from tradition and shifting that 
idea of what they look like. And even further, it can now vary by age. It can vary by their gender. Maybe your family history impacts how you are culturally relevant to indigenous life. Your occupation, possibly, where it's brought you, what it's taught you. Involvement in ritual activity or ceremonies can highly impact it. Uh, Degree of exposure or commitment to non-religious cultures. So more heavily involved in non-religious and pardon me non-indigenous activities you might shift your own narrative of what you want your life to look like interest and curiosity can highly impact whether or not they are ecologically or environmentally knowledgeable and that those are just some of the many factors that can affect what indigenous culture looks like today when it comes to their relationship to land also lastly i want to touch upon the fact that oral traditions were heavily influenced the knowledge and what they saw in the land and as we know when we brought in assimilation residential schools and essentially relocation and inevitably war and I would argue genocide against the indigenous people we cut oral traditions specific members in societies within indigenous cultures were called critical knowledge keepers Um, we effectively in both war and disease and assimilation The people who, in quotes, the Cherokee would call knew most, and ethnographers would call them walking encyclopedias of knowledge, were lost. This is a big factor when you have oral tradition that you will not be able to continue if it is cut off. Counter to that reality, though, this idea that indigenous culture has had to shift and change and mold and bend from not only colonialistic issues, but also the war of time. We see that in Kyle White's article, Critical Investigations of Resilience, a brief introduction to indigenous studies and sciences. He tells us that in quote, Indigenous people are among the most active environmentalists in the world, working through advocacy, education programs, and research, end quote. And this isn't random happenstance. It actually is a very important thing to look at. The fact that Indigenous people are highly active in environmentalism is due to the fact that they are more dependent on the earth and less separated from that cultivation, harvesting, hunting uh, tradition. So when we have climate change affect the earth in areas such as Australia, India, the Amazon rainforest, where indigenous groups are prominent as well, they are impacted by inhabitation encroachment they're impacted by rising sea temperatures they're impacted by overfishing they're impacted by uh, 
imbalanced monocropping, they can't escape those realities because the general narrative is that those are how the world functions and this is what we do. So it's important for them and that's why we see a high amount of activism in indigenous cultures throughout the globe, also in America, to bring balance back into our ecological relationship to the earth. I lastly would like to touch upon something that impacted me during this conversation and analysis into what the quote ecological Indian was. The land back movement, which is prominent here in the United States, I have always associated with, I would say, um, moral uh, platitudes. So it was morally conscious of me to be a part of the land back movement because I do not believe that it's okay we have broken treaty. I don't believe it's okay that we have not remedied the wrongs that we have uh, committed in the past. I, I believe heavily in that personally. But something to also think upon, which has really affected me, is the land back movement isn't necessarily purely morally driven as a way to right our wrongs. It, in fact, is also an environmentalist issue. Part of the motivation for the land back movement is to reinvigorate the preservation of lands that were not only necessarily sacred, but also originally belonged to indigenous groups who, as we can see culturally, historically, are making moves to bring back in this tradition of ecological environmental knowledge in today's generations. For me, this really is something I I don't think I could have known unless I looked into the history of environmentalism and indigenous people. So thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It will be the only one and I hope you enjoyed what you've learned today and this conversation as it is stands. There's, I'm sure, a lot of flaws and a lot of holes, but I think it opened up an analysis as a larger entity of how we, first of all, view the cultural past of Indigenous people, what it means to blanket them in an identity such as an ecological or noble savage, and Lastly, how this has translated to the present, what it means, what happened in 1800s when it comes to the cultural identity of indigenous people, how it's shifted them today. Thank you so much. And this is Chanel signing off.